What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Mental Corner Podcast, the show where I bring on guests from all different backgrounds to talk all the things mental health. I'm your host, Harry Potvin, and today I have the pleasure of being joined by John Moonlight. John is a former Canadian rugby player turned firefighter who scored 116 tries and competed in 65 World Series for Canada in his amazing career. Throughout his time representing Canada on the world stage, he was also the captain of the Rugby Sevens team for numerous years. This episode is actually really special for me because for those of you who don't know, I used to play rugby in high school and I immediately fell in love with the sport. And, you know, John is actually one of the guys I used to look up to growing up as a kid. Uh, his picture is actually hung up in the arena that where my pool that I used to train is at. And, uh, you know, you would just watch all the matches, go to the games and just to sit down with him and chat about these games that I've been to or that I've watched on YouTube extensively it's just it, it it was a really cool moment for me it, it was one of it was one of my favorite episodes to film for sure so i wanted to thank john again for coming on and having this discussion with me i had a great time now before we get started here you guys know the drill if you're listening please like comment share subscribe give five stars if you're on that podcast platform share with someone who might want to hear this episode it's a really great one and i can't wait for you to listen i'll talk to you all very soon have a great rest of your day peace John, thank you so much for joining me today, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. Uh, it's awesome. Uh, thanks for having me. So before we get to into everything, I wanted to get to know you a little bit better. So what what inspired you going way back? What kind of inspired you to pick the sport of rugby as like your quote unquote career path for the time being? So I was uh, one of the kids who I played kind of every sport you could think of growing up uh, in high school I and mean, volleyball. Was never quite great at basketball, but I played a little bit of that, uh, everything. And uh, I never really considered rugby until my cousin uh, Dave Moonlight. He's a past Canadian player, was at one point the highest sevens try scoring for for Canada, and um, he really pushed me. He's like, "You got to go out." He's like, "I see you on the hockey rink, you know, you're banging to everyone, smashing." And I was like, "I think you would absolutely love this. It's kind of just like a controlled area to." You know, kind of express yourself and uh, that's what kind of got me into it I, uh, end up switching high schools way back and uh, in grade 10 it was really what I kind of took off me and that was what I really liked playing and doing alongside hockey at the same time too mm-hmm. it was was grade 10 then the point where you were kind of like oh I'm really good at this <laughs> so that didn't happen I actually uh, I got cut quite a bit by Ontario so I went out and it was Grade 10, I went out to try to for Ontario. Grade 11, I went out and tried to for Ontario. And both of them, I got cut. And so mm-hmm. I was kind of at the point, like, why am I trying this? Like, at this point, I was playing club rugby. I was enjoying it because we kind of had a good group of guys from, uh, I went to Dumbarton and Pickering. And good guys from there that all played club together. And then we had other guys from a couple of schools who played. And so we just had a good kind of program. And I was enjoying that. So the next year, right, I'm not going to go out. And the coach from Uxbridge, uh, Paul Conley. He was an assistant coach on the, the under-19 team at Conquer Canada. Came up to me after we played them and said, you know, you ever think about coming out for Ontario or anything like that? It's like, I think you'd have a good, good career in rugby. And I said, well, to be honest, I went out and I never made it. 
He's like, oh, well, like, I, honestly, I really think you should go out. Like, it'd be really good for you. So I went out and actually got selected uh, for Ontario. Played in, uh, I was lucky, it was the year of the, the Canada Summer Games. We went up to Saskatchewan, played. And then um, from there, I actually got selected to the Canada team. I was kind of one of the later brought in guys. There was a camp before the World Cup in Arizona, I want to say it was. Yeah, anyways, Phoenix or something. Somewhere down in the south. In the mm-hmm. I remember because for the first time when I was running, my throat was burning like crazy. Oh my God. And, uh, and so I went down there and ended up playing well enough to get myself in that U, uh, U19 Canada team. So my kind of start wasn't one of those guys that was always involved. I had to work really hard to get involved there. And then after that, I wasn't selected for anything until I kind of moved out west. And I would say forced myself, but I played my way into the teams in that mm-hmm. i love that because you know there's a like a lot of kids who has hesitate to get into different sports or pursue different things because they're like oh i'm a late bloomer like i can't you know these people have been doing it their whole lives but if you put the work in and you love what you're doing like anything's possible really it's so true you look, look at a guy like uh, i don't know if you follow basketball like pascal siakam mm-hmm. he really hasn't been playing basketball that long and you know, he had a career year a couple of years ago, and now he's making unreal money. He's, you can see he's struggling a little bit with the side of being that star now on the team, but he's a heck of a guy, like player, and he's a guy who at one point never touched the ball. I think in the less than 10 years he's been playing basketball. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, it's so funny when you're talking about like Dunbarton and Uxbridge because when I went to Sinclair, I played rugby. So like I'm I, like that Uxbridge coach. I know all those names. It's like a yeah. blast to the past, man. Yeah. Oh, it, uh, oh I, I don't think Paul's not involved there anymore. I've talked to him here and there. He's involved in like that ASAT thing with the uh, rugby, but there's still a lot of the same kind of stuff going on. Same rivalries, not I the time I'll pop into Dunbarton and watch game when we could pop into Dunbarton and watch games yeah. and that. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah i have yet to go back to sinclair because the year after me was pretty terrible <laughs> like oh, you would you would you would watch them and you're like oh okay like that's 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 the legacy we left <laughs> well and you probably like because my cousin went to sinclair as well when he got me a director so i'm mm-hmm. sure you heard his name tossed around. i can't remember your old coach's name but he was another nice guy that chatted to me and did have to what uh was he bald yes was he? Did he look like an army guy? Because there's two bald guys. Well, there's there's army. There's a guy they call army from Oshawa now, but uh, I honestly I can't remember now. Nah, yeah. well, I'm sure I'm sure it was the same person I'm thinking about. Yeah, um, he's still there, by the way. <laughs> um, so you your debut into like national level professional rugby was 2009 in Hong Kong, right? Yeah, that was kind of so. Yeah. Um, I was kind of, I actually went through a streak of injuries. I uh, moved out west. I was that typical young guy that, you know, you're partying and doing whatever and trying to compete professionally. Um, your body can't hold up. And so I went through a streak of uh, concussions, broken bones, and that. It took, took a bit. I finally got that sorted. So I got myself into the team in 2009 in Hong Kong. Uh, first time I played is, I don't know if you've seen the Hong Kong Sevens. It's a massive ordeal on Friday mm-hmm. nights usually massive party in May it's kind of the not highlight games but they have all big games in that night under the lights it's the first one we play Fiji 
under the lights in Hong Kong for it. I remember warming up we're in front of the south stands and it was just going crazy. And it was an eye opener for me. You know, I go from playing rugby on the field at you know, Uvic or Laurie or any of those ones, right? And uh, all of a sudden I'm standing in front of 42,000 people screaming and playing the best team in the world at the time, Fiji, right? Like it was, uh, it was crazy. I got on the field in that game and uh, I, a couple of guys laughed when I tell them this, but for that whole tournament, I was on the field. I didn't make a tackle. I didn't touch the ball. I didn't, I, I think I hit one scrum. I just didn't do any. I was out there. I was just, it was like I was a fan base <laughs> on the field. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, DTH made a break at one point. I remember chasing after and yelling, but it was so loud. No one could hear me. Uh, or so he couldn't hear me in that. So yeah, I was kind of basically a front row to watch DTH do his thing. Yeah, you were you were getting your cardio in. Exactly. <laughs> oh man, you telling that just gave me goosebumps. I can't even imagine. Like you're on the field and the the lights are hitting your face. Do you see the odd like the stands when you're up there because the lights are so bright, or is it like a theater thing when you're on the stage and you can't see the audience? No, so you can see the crowd. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it depends on the stadium where you are and that, but for the most part, you can see the crowd and. uh I said, so a place like Dubai, you are on the field and they have a path that you can walk all around the stadium. They got stands around for, I don't, I can't remember how many people can be in there, but there's a path probably 10 feet wide all the way around and people stand at the side of the, the pitch. And while you're playing, they're like chirping at you or whatever. Like I was always on the flank when I was going to uh, kickoffs. And there'd be guys yelling something or whatever, trying to have a conversation with you over there. So there's a bit more distraction there. But for the most part, the the bigger stadiums, you don't really get that because there's that kind of separation between the crowd. Mm -hmm. There's a few times I can remember noticing things in the crowd. We were playing Twickenham. It was 80,000 people. They they played usually, it was a Saturday, Sunday. Saturday was always a bigger party day. And Mm -hmm. it'd be packed. Most people weren't even watching the crowd. It was just a big social <laughs> gathering for them. And uh, I'm walking back for a kick. I think we were playing in Scotland. We just scored. And I could hear the wave going around. I, for the most part, I didn't hear a lot on the field unless it was like the Dubai side. But you could hear the wave going around the stadium. And it took me just saying, like, wow, there was a lot of people. Like, it was so loud. And, uh, it, was, it was a cool experience. Wow, man. And how, like, when you're on the field... And you hear that like right before the kickoff, like what's going through your head? Like, how do you kind of zone into the game? You're like, okay, let's, it's business now, as opposed to like, oh, what's going on in the crowd? I, uh, we, we had a, a couple of good uh, sports psychologists that kind of helped because when I first got there, you, it's nervous energy and you're just, you want to try and make something happen. And uh, a lot of stuff they worked on with us was being uh, task oriented. Mm-hmm. So worrying about what your task is. So breaking it down to, okay, we're kicking the ball. What's my task on this? Okay, I'm going to have to wait for the kicker to kick the ball, and I'm going to run forward. I'm going to run forward. I'm going to jump in the air, and I'm going to try and catch the one. Okay, so I'm breaking it all the way down to the first task was, okay, I have to start running when he starts moving. Because if you start worrying about that end product or scoring or something, you're never going to get there. It's going to seem daunting. That really helped me a lot in my career. Was just focusing on what my next task was, where I was going to go, and what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I'm I'm sure it's a little bit like this with sevens. Um, but I played fifteens, and it's kind of like that in the sense where 
you know, if you just go straight for the, like the end goal, like you're never going to get there. There's 15 guys that are going to stop you. But if it's like you do little pushes each time and you do the rucks and you kind of keep moving inch by inch, it's way more doable. It's better to look at it that way. Yeah. It's like, you're just compounding good things, right? It's mm-hmm. easy enough to think like for me, it was easy enough to think like, I got to move my leg two legs forward. Okay. I'm going to have to jump up here. Rather than I'm going to go up there and Sam crosses across from Wales. I'm going to have to run and him and I are both going to smash off each other. And while I'm in the air there, I'm going to have to try and catch a ball. Thinking like that, geez, that's daunting. But hey, I just got to take, I always, I don't know if you've seen the video, like I always measure back. I knew how many steps I had to take from when Nate or whoever was kicking did their one motion that I was crossing the line at full speed. So all I think about was walking back there and taking those steps at that line and then go from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we did we did some things like that similarly in swimming where um, like you had to know how many dolphin kicks it took for you to get to a certain part of the pool or like how far you would get or how many strokes per length. It's like once you focus on the little things, it all builds mm-hmm. up. And except, you know, now we live in a time where everything's quick. Everything's like immediate. You get everything really fast. So kids are a little more yeah. impatient now. Like I, I tried to t- teach kids swimming and I'm trying to teach them the basic fundamentals. And they're like, when do I get to be Michael Phelps? I'm like, well, <laughs> you have like maybe 20 more years <laughs> if you're lucky well, 20 years is probably another 40,000 hours <laughs> like like a million meters like yeah. and that and you have to have the skill first of all like the, the hard work's one thing um oh i had a question oh i completely forget what the question was shoot um oh it wasn't a question but when you were talking about the task it, like one thing i can kind of relate it to is like i was watching uh, old mike tyson tape and he calls himself the task. He's like, I'm the task at hand. And he doesn't like care who's in front of him. And that's a little bit of an extreme example. <laughs> like you don't yeah. have to view yourself as that. But once you view things as a task, as opposed to like a daunting adventure, it's like way more doable. He's a good example of someone you look at who's got all of the natural talent. And he was always so focused, but he kind of got overconfident on himself, right? Like you think mm-hmm. it that guy could have beat up anyone in the world, probably still could. Like he's, I don't know if you watched that other, that last fight, I mean, he's definitely older, but you know, he, uh, he had it all and he just kind of let that mental side slip and just kind of got overconfident and didn't focus on what his task was. And it kind of slipped on him. Mm -hmm. So on that, on that note, in terms of like overconfidence, like how, how do you, when, when you get like the gold medal or you get like, player of the match or you win a match or what what have you how how do you personally like prevent that overconfidence from happening that's that's a tough thing i mean i guess we were lucky as canada and sevens because we could get humbled very quick by other teams <laughs> sevens was such a quick game right like you, yeah you play three 14 minute games in a day so you have to find ways to get over that very quick and be able to focus on that next team one thing for me, I used to do a lot, and if we lost, or was more so, but I wouldn't take my jersey off until I was ready to put that game behind myself. Now I'd go and watch film, but whether I was upset with how I played or happy about how I was playing, I would take my time taking the jersey off until I was ready to be able to accept that and get myself prepared for the next game. That took a while for me to get that into that routine and that, because you know you come back and 
especially with social media and phones these days, like they're so readily available. We had situations where we'd come off the pitch and guys would be grabbing the phone right away. So we kind of got rid of that. And you got to enjoy anything that goes well, but you also have to be ready for that next half. So that was a big thing for us. Yeah, absolutely. I I know a lot of people who, um, like even people I played rugby with who had a lot of success early on, like they were on Team Canada or like they were just captain of a team or whatever. And once like one little thing in the match went wrong, like this one guy started fighting the ref because he just couldn't handle the pressure. And we're like, what are you doing, man? (laughs) You don't fight the ref. We were out in Europe and the ref, I guess, made a questionable call, but I don't think it was very questionable, but that's just me. Um, And the guy's like, you want to go ref? And we're like, what the hell my coach is like on the sideline like i don't even know what to do yeah you know i think a lot of guys go through that right you see that bit of success and all of a sudden you feel like maybe not that you're superior anyone but that you maybe know a bit more or something like i think Mm -hmm. we're all guilty of it at times you know uh, there's some good rugby refs out there now that humble guys and bringing up agile ones right they bring them back down and realize them that he's kind of the guy running the show and, and doing and it's, it's on his dime and that um yeah yeah no i i watched a, a compilation of i think it's the same ref and they have him mic'd up or something during matches and he's just like yeah. going at the players i'm like oh my god that's so funny <laughs> imagine yeah oh man so um when you when you played in the pan am games at toronto what was it like playing on your home field? Like, was there any added pressure to be performing in front of a home audience? Yeah, that was the, I mean, you're playing the Pan Am games in Toronto. Uh, this is kind of just before we got all the, the tournament in Vancouver. And that. So this was kind of a home tournament for us. And uh, we're also dealing with a little bit of stuff like uh, with coaching staff and not getting on with the players and, there was, there was a lot going on behind the scenes. And, man, we made that tournament tough. I don't know if you remember. We should have lost to Chile. And uh, Chile was up, no time left. They stole the ball from us. Instead of kicking the ball direct, everybody kicked the ball down the field and ended up stopping in our um, try zone. And Justin Douglas ran back, got it, ran it back. I think we worked the one or two phases and broke through the middle and scored to tie the game, went into overtime and then Philly Mac, the little magician as he is, broke through the middle and scored and get us through that. And, you know, there was, there was so much going on between uh, the tournament, the players and uh, even the environment. So when you go to a multi-sport games like that, uh, it's way tougher to focus because you have athletes from all different sports and areas and you're meeting people and that when it comes time to perform you gotta get past all those distractions there was a lot of stuff guys fought through we got through and we didn't you know in the end we came out on top and i think that's kind of the resilience of the guys and the work that guys put in to to make sure we were there and when it came time we actually guys focused got it done and that but it's complete other aspect when you have family in front of you and all that yeah, no, hundred percent. I I was at the um. Oh, which game was it? It wasn't the gold medal game. It was the one right before the. Uh, who were you? That facing? was uh, U.S. 
Yes, yes. Yeah. I was at that game. That was crazy. Dude, rugby fans are insane. <laughs> just, yeah. They're screaming. They're drunk. They they love the sport so much. Oh, it's such a great arena to be in. That was a, that was a game we were ahead. And Addy took uh, a silly yellow card. I, I remember yelling at him on the field. And he he knew I knew a bunch of us were so I probably I even ask guys like there was times when I yelled and I shouldn't have yelled on the field not but I, I yelled something at him and then he came back on and made up for it big time with a massive try with barely any time left right in the middle and there's a photo of him on the ground a bunch of us like all on top of him like basically tell him like you made up for it and, uh, yeah it was a that was a good game oh, and it's the Americans so right. Yeah, you got a little extra victory to that one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh man, awesome. So, um, w- one question I had written here was, um, because you've you've you, you started playing in two thousand nine, you retired in two thousand eighteen. So that's a in terms of rugby, that's a pretty long career. And you know, you went to sixty five different world tournament, se- sorry, World Series tournaments. You were um, the player of the year four straight years. How were you able to stay consistent both mentally and physically in a sport where both things are so important but also so hard to do? So physically, there was a, a lot of time on the table, mm-hmm. a lot of prehab, a lot of rehab stuff. I I, I tended to play through uh, different injuries here and there. Like I, think I ended up playing 50-odd tournaments straight at one point. Uh, like near coming up to the end of the ring to when I retired. And a lot of that was due to very good um, medical staff and also like the prehab and rehab. You look at guys that are still involved right now, like Gary Jones and Nate Hiriyama, the two of those guys, if you're starting training at 8.30, they're in the gym at 8 o'clock and they're doing activities to get their body warmed up and get ready. And, um, the mental side of it, that was... That was a tough one. So I think it was in 2013, Phil Mack and I both were voted, they call it the dream team for, uh, for the league. So it's the top player per position in, in the whole World Series. And uh, the next season, I can remember I was all, the whole time I was worried about trying to repeat what I had done last time. And I got to be better. I got to be better. And I remember that was, uh, we had a new coach. And that was when like, I felt like I was just having kind of a down down here because I was so concerned about that and working with the sports psychologist and kind of helped remind me that, you know, even though you're not scoring tries, you're not doing this, that you're still contributing to the team. That's the tough thing. Like there's so many highs in those, especially nine, nine years when you're playing all these tournaments, you know, we were away two and a half weeks home, two and a half weeks, basically through the whole season and uh, keeping myself focused. It was very tough. I found after, so after 2015, I started focusing on my career after and knowing I had to get something sorted. And that actually, I think, helped me a lot with uh, with my play. And I played probably some of my better rugby near the end of my career due to the fact that I had something else to focus on. So it was mm-hmm. schooling through it all. And I had to look back in one of my tournaments I felt like I played my best at was the Vancouver 7th right before I retired. 2018, and uh, you know that uh, that was a tournament that I was in the middle of interview processes. I was doing stuff for getting on the fire department, 
and I had those distractions so that I wasn't always sitting focusing and thinking on the game and what I was going to do and how I was going to perform. And that's something I think every athlete needs. They need to have something that can distract them away from it all, whether it be a, an animal, a girlfriend, schooling, whatever, right? Or boyfriend or anything. As long as you have something that can kind of distract you because it can be all encompassing when all you're doing is focusing. Just, we're staying in a hotel, you're rooming with a teammate. All you're focusing on is that performance on the field and what's coming up this following weekend and what you need to do tonight or tomorrow or tomorrow morning or whatever, where if you have something else that you can focus on, it really helps to draw away so you're not stressing with that. Mm-hmm. You, you hear about that all the time, right? Where um, I have friends that this happened to where they their career kind of like plateaued in a sense, like in terms of swimming, like they just weren't getting any faster. And then they, mm-hmm. they would, they took a break and they went and found something else they liked. Like whether it was like, um, you know, like a Bible study every Monday night or like a, a course that they loved or even like a different stroke in swimming, they would train the different stroke for months, like a stroke that they were terrible at. They would try to get better at it. And then after those months, they went back to their old, like main stroke and they killed it. Yeah. They're doing great because their mind is like, you, you get out of that loop. And it's almost like you, um, you're so focused and you're so critical of every little movement. Uh, I don't know if you know, like the, the amount of data that's, given to an app like us after so we finish a match and we have guys that are doing analysis while the whole match is going on mm-hmm. within 15 minutes of being off the field we've got the entire game cut up coded to every breakdown turnover everything and the amount of analysis you could do and looking at such fine details would drive you insane whether you yeah. step forward with your left foot or right foot when you're making this stop now there's some stuff you want to look at but it can be mind-numbing and it can actually be detrimental to your play and i've seen it in young guys when they're coming through the program they want to get better and they want to do more but they're so critical themselves they're never going to get any better yeah exactly that that was like um me to a lesser extent like i I would swim a race or like the week after a swim meet a swim competition i would spend the whole week looking at like splits and stroke rate and my turns and how fast my turns were. And like, I would beat myself up if something was bad. And then it gets to a point where that becomes your routine. And then at the next meet you go, Oh shit, I don't want to do this again. And then that just yeah. ruins the whole thing. You lose that excitement about what you're doing. Cause you're so rather than just enjoying being out there. Some of the best rugby we ever played with Canada was when we were just out there having a good time and enjoying ourselves. And when you get to the point, cause I've definitely felt it where you're like, I don't want to be out here. I'm so worried I'm going to do this, this, and this. That you're scared to even go out there and perform when there's a reason you've been selected. And we used to tell all the young guys, this, there's a reason you've been selected and brought into this program. Mm-hmm. You, whether you are very fast, you're a good tackler, or, or you're just a great team guy, because you know, that's part of it. There's such a small community. There's only 12 of us traveling. You need to have a good guy, the good guys in there that you're working with. There's a reason you're here. So stop stressing about all the little stuff and just go over here and do what you're good at. Just enjoy yourself and have fun. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's some of the best, uh, well, not best, but some of the most fun rugby I, ha- I ever played was when I went to Europe and we lost the first game like 70 to nothing because it was like we were jet lagged 
and um it was like my high school and like maybe five of us were the t- the first string and then everyone else who could afford the trip was like the bench warmers so it was like we and it was 15s so we had 16 guys there <laughs> so it was very few breaks um but the the england team misunderstood us and thought that we were team ontario so they brought out their <laughs> provincial team and we were just yeah. like a bench riding high school team and we got demolished and a dude broke his collarbone in the first like minute on our team so we had no subs and then we lost yeah. 70 to 1 jet lagged out of our minds but after that game we realized wow we're nothing compared to these like european teams like cuz they're all yeah. letting their provincial teams out or whatever it was um so the most fun we ever had was those next 3 games because it was like you know just enjoy it just go out and have fun it doesn't like the end result like this is we're not we're not a national team like we know that yeah. it, this is all for the experience so just have fun with it and that's one thing that um i think every athlete who comes into a national team deals with it is that point where you're happy to be there and happy to play but when you get to that national level it's no longer being there and happy to play is what's what we want and that was something you had to work with a lot of the young guys with because we're playing some beautiful Dubai, you know, we're in Cape Town, we're chasing the sun all winter, right? Mm-hmm. It's an awesome lifestyle and, you know, it's, it's cool to be doing it, but as a national team, you want to be succeeding. We want to win. Mm-hmm. We were fortunate enough to win the tournament in Singapore there. It's kind of something I always wanted to do. And it was always a pipe dream goal of all of us. And things came together when we played so well. And a lot of that was because we no longer had guys there that were just kind of happy. We wanted to compete. We wanted to beat these teams. And that's something that's a, a tough thing to get around the new young athlete coming into the program is getting them over that hump and onto the, okay, it's no longer I'm happy to be here. I want to compete. I want a starting spot in this team. And I want to make sure that we can beat these teams. We want to beat New Zealand's, all those, Fiji's, all those places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely a fine line you got to, you got to find in between loving what you do and then not having too much fun and making it business kind of in a weird way. Um, so, so on, on that note, like when, when these new guys are coming in or even like, let's say, you know, you had a bad stretch with the team and the motivation is kind of low, um, or the, you know, the woo, let's go is kind of down. Like how, as a captain, do you kind of channel your energy into them and like, you know, hype them up for the next match or the next tournament or yeah. So we were very fortunate. We had like a really good uh, group of leaders in our program. Uh, like Nate, myself, Harry came in after, before I became captain there on my own, uh, Nate was the captain. He was off long-term injury. And then I ended up uh, taking the captaincy for a bit. And then after all that, it went to a group captaincy. And I was never the captain who, like, I would try and get guys around. And you could see kind of emotions going in the games. Guys were dying. you try and bring them up. But good thing is we had that group that could kind of do it. I was always more along the lines. I'd rather just go out there and perform and lead by example, uh, whether it's on the pitch or in the training area. You know, it was kind of expected that the newer, younger guys were going to pick up gear and kind of clean up stuff like we still carry bags but you know clean up the field and I'm, I was always out there with them when the old, older like, leader guys were always out there cleaning up with them just kind of leading by example and it's tough when you know a team is down or 
us. They were banged up, tired from the last game. You're on the third game of the second weekend, right? It, you're, you're feeling it and trying to get guys hyped up and excited was tough. And everyone is different in how they need to get ready for games. And that was a sports psychologist worked with us a lot with that, with guys finding their way to get ready and what they needed to do. Mm-hmm. It, it is tough. I mean, I say one way worked ever. It, it isn't, uh, it's, I can't do that, but I can say like when we had that group of guys leading the three, four of us that would, would kind of help guide the team, lead us where it was much easier that way. Yeah. Yeah, that's a tough one, right? Like the fact that everyone reacts differently or registers things differently, it's kind of hard to all wrap it into one solution. Yeah. Yeah. And that comes back to even like coaching too, right? Like guys react differently to coaching and how a coach brings a message to you. You know, there's like, I've always grown up with coaches who I work well with tell me exactly what they want. You know, there are other guys that, you know, if I'm doing something wrong, I want to hear about it. I don't want anyone to kind of light foot around it all. We're, you know, maybe it's a new generation thing, but some guys can't handle that kind of speaking from a coach and or leadership in that. And so you have to learn ways to be able to work with you know, different personalities. And that. And that was a lot of it as a captain or as a leadership group for uh, our national team was being able to work within that framework with guys of diverse backgrounds, personalities. We have guys from all over Canada, who's out in Conception Bay, South uh, Newfoundland. We got guys from Vancouver Island. Right? Like, we have so many different personalities and trying to get that cohesiveness between us all was tough. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but you guys did okay. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean we did well and, and the thing about our team was we were all such good buddies and you know, we would go away, we'd be away for two and a half weeks. We'd come home and this next day we'd all be hanging out doing something, right? Like grabbing coffee with guys. And that was the nice thing about what was going on. We enjoyed our time with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's important too. Because when you have teammates that like butt heads or don't want to be with the other teammates, like how, how do you build chemistry on that? It, it's finding a way to work around that kind of thing, like, Mm-hmm. Whether you don't have a you disagree on views or opinions, you need to find ways to work around that. Uh, a good example of that is like Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant. Apparently, the two of them always butted heads, but you see, they came together and they found a way to work, and they won how many championships? Right? Like, yeah, that's a uh, Three was it? Three? I think it's three or four together. Anyways. Yeah. yeah, I'm not completely certain so i don't want to make a statement <laughs> but yeah something around that like uh, you know the two of them work unreal together and the two of them didn't agree on a lot of stuff mm-hmm. yeah exactly you just got to find a way to put that aside yeah um kind of moving a little bit forward here so when when you when you decided to retire i know that uh and i i spoke we spoke about this off camera a little bit but when when you do retire something that a lot of athletes struggle with post-sport is kind of finding their purpose or kind of finding who they are because like me for example my twitter handle is still swimmerboy98 like you know your sport becomes who you are um so how were you able to find that purpose uh in in firefighting like did that come immediately or did you have to do a little bit of soul searching before 
yeah, so I guess you go back to when I was in university, like much like anyone, I graduated high school, didn't know what I wanted to do, wanted to still play rugby. Uh, so I went to Laurier for a couple of years and then transferred, not transferred, I was a visiting student at UVic, taking courses through Laurier. Mm-hmm. Then when I got in the national program, I stopped taking any schooling that was focused on what I was doing. Now looking back, I don't really suggest to anyone. So kind of hit 26 and I was like, I had a, what am I doing with my life moment? I need to get things organized. Like, the thing with sport is you get injured, you, you cannot get selected and it can be all over just like that. So I went back and finished my degree. I had about a year left of schooling and uh, firefighting was always on the table for me. Uh, my uncle was a firefighter. My cousin was a firefighter. And there's a couple like past rugby Canada guys that you talk to firefighters. It just seemed like such a good transition from one team into that another team environment. We work in groups of four out of our stations and uh, you're always around each other, much like we were on tour. And when, you know, things kind of get intense, you're there with people, you're going through it all. You're working. That was the part that really drew me in. I struggled a lot with the, the transition, it, it took about a year actually for me to really realize that I wasn't a rugby player anymore and I couldn't identify as that. And it's because it happened so fast for me. So I was playing tournaments with the World Series and doing testing and interviews and everything, flying back in between. My coach, Dean, at the time was absolutely awesome. I told him my plan. I was trying to prepare things and get set up. Uh, because anyone who is trying to get in the firefight knows normally it would take upwards of, you know, there's some guys to talk to, it's four or five, eight years to try and get in the department. So I didn't know how long that was going to take. So I started the whole process. I was very fortunate that I got an interview right before we were playing in Hong Kong. And so that was the year they had the Commonwealth Games down in Australia. So it was, we played in Hong Kong, went to the Commonwealth Games, you had a week off where the, our team actually stayed in Singapore for the week, and then you had your week leading up and playing in Singapore. I found out, I had the interview for that, and went to Hong Kong, played in uh, Gold Coast, and I felt good about the interview, so I was kind of, I asked Damien if I could get flown back home for the week off. I said, you know, I know it's expensive, but I have a feeling I might have gotten this job. Flew back home, found out that day that I got the job. Like basically, I landed, went to bed, woke up the next morning, and I had a call from the city of Pickering saying, Hey, congratulations, you've been offered a job, which was unreal. It's a dream come true. It's like winning the lottery, getting mm-hmm. a career in firefighting. And so everything happened fast. I had to be home within two and a half weeks to start the job. Actually, today is the anniversary of when I started May 7th. Oh wow! Congrats. Uh, so it's been three years today, yeah, since uh, since I started the job. So I had to pack up my entire life, get rid of my condo, furniture. Uh, Connor Braid helped me out a lot because he's a real estate agent, and he uh, basically kept everything in order for me and the place, even though it was empty, to to sell it and help me out. And it, it all happened fast. So even after I'd gotten back and I was into the fire department, Damien and I were still in conversations. He's he was trying to get me to play in the World Cup in, I think it was July or something like that. And I told him I needed some time to get settled. And I still had those aspirations. Like, yeah, I could probably make the Olympics. So I felt come in and out, 
do the fire stuff. And uh, Damien ended up getting relieved of his duties, which is too bad because he's the best program runner and coach that any of the guys had ever worked with and really good for rugby within Canada. Mm-hmm. And um, I kind of was still under the assumption that ah, maybe I could try and make it. I'd spoken with Henry Paul a bit and went out and did a bit of training in this past uh, two Novembers ago with them and felt like I was still keeping up. I was running, I was doing well. And uh, at that point, I kind of realized things weren't going to work out. I wasn't going to be able to make it. And that's when it kind of settled in. Uh, it wasn't anything to do with uh, fitness or anything like that. Like, I felt like I was fit enough, but a few things that crossed my mind where I wasn't there with the guys every day. I wasn't there grinding with them. You know, I could train on my own and try and get involved, but you know, I know what it's like in that environment. And I know how hard those guys work, how they put their lives on hold to be able to do that. And I, I didn't feel that was something I could do. And, uh, and it's tough when you're away from physical contact, like hitting people for a while, mm-hmm. you start realizing that you're not aching here and there, you know, your back <laughs> is feeling okay. You don't really want to put yourself back involved in all that stuff. You start thinking about the other side. So that's when I kind of realized like, Hey, I'm not a rugby player anymore. I played, I don't know if I sort of missed there. I played a season with the Arrows when mm-hmm. they had first started. I jumped in there. So I was getting the contact. It wasn't until after that that, uh, you know, sort of the Arrows season ended in, what was that, August, September. So there was like three, four months where I wasn't in any physical contact and, that, and uh, feeling good. And yeah, I realized it just wasn't going to work out. And, I struggled for a little while and it's just recognizing that, okay, I can't identify as that. Now I am, I would, I'm a firefighter. I guess I could recognize that, but kind of, there's more to me than just being that rugby player or now that firefighter. Right? I can present more and I really need to find a, another challenge, something to work on because it wasn't, it was, wouldn't say it was bringing me down to anyone around me, but I, inside I was feeling that kind of lost thing so I I was always into road biking I got myself into road biking and before the pandemic I was going to try and do an Ironman coming up and now hopefully once all this is over next year maybe I can try and get into one of them just trying to find something to kind of occupy myself and that competing I miss that competing you know I get that being around the guys and that now but that going out there and challenging the person across from me and you know, competing. So now it's kind of competing with myself and a lot of things. So you know, I've got a trainer for my bike and I'm always trying to get my wattage over a certain amount and going out for runs and trying to run faster and faster. That's where I've kind of found my competition. And then you throw in a little bit of beer league hockey and that kind of <laughs> covers the rest of it all. But yeah, no, it's a, it was a tough time for me. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's, that's so important where, um, my, my dad used to always tell me this because I had a rough go when I retired from swimming just because it, it, I didn't end the way I wanted to. Like I ended with an injury and which mm-hmm. is always just a slap in the face because you're like, you know, 11 or however long you were training and then that's how it ends. Like you, you always have yeah. a fairy tale ending in your head. Um, mm-hmm. But like the thing he was always saying was like, once you're done that sport, find something else to channel that competitiveness in into. Because, you know, as an athlete, you have it and you can't just let it sit because you'll go crazy. For sure. I, mean, I, 
I've done it, especially the start of this pandemic too, right? When you can't do anything, you're just kind of sitting around. You know, we're all trying to stay locked down and trying to protect people and you got nothing in it. It's tough. And, you know, I, I feel for you. I feel for it's the athletes right now. You think of all these people, they've been focusing for so many years. A guy like Nate. Nate's been playing seven since uh, 2007, I think, was his first tournament. Mm-hmm. And he's still playing. And that was going to be kind of the culmination. Like, hit the Olympics 2016, or sorry, uh, 2020. He's done. You know, we missed the one in 2016. And uh, for it just to be delayed another year, you've been focusing so hard on it all. That's all your focus has been for the last four years. And now you have to delay it for another year. And there are guys that are in that program that might not get to go to the Olympics or people, let's say, a marathon runner, a sprinter, or someone who's been training all this year to peak at that time. And now they kind of have to change their training program and be able to peak again at this year. And or like, there are people that are going to take those spots. I feel for those guys because it's got to be so emotionally draining and tough. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it'll be interesting to see where people lie in terms of Olympic success because like, it's not like they pushed it another four years so you can kind of take your cycle down and peak again. You, you almost yeah. have to like have a quick dip and then peak again. It, it'll be interesting to see how people, re, uh, uh, what's respond, it called? Yeah. yeah, that's the word. How people respond. Rebounder, to yeah. 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 Those, yeah. It's, yeah. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting, especially like this. So I obviously know a bit more about the sevens end, but there's been two tournaments basically since it's all, or four tournaments to kind of set things. And then, uh, New Zealand's playing stuff down in their own country. Uh, U.S. and Canada were over in Dubai. Argentina's gone to as many things to do, but there's a lot of countries that haven't been able to do it. And Great Britain's just been training. Mm-hmm. You know, these teams that are elite class athletes and players, they haven't had that chance to play. And, and you know, they were just coming into their own, coming into these tournaments. Like Canada, for example, they played in Vancouver Sevens. It was the second last tournament they played in the late after. They came third in Vancouver. Like, they were playing great rugby. And now they've got to kind of rebuild that and restructure it and kind of go from there, which is tough. Yeah, yeah, that's that's so hard. If um, if you were in that scenario, what would be like one thing that you would do to kind of try to keep your head in line in terms of like training and I got to just keep going to the task as opposed to like you know being down in the dumps and being like oh, this this freaking blows and then not having that motivation. It'd be having something else to do. So whether it be like when I was out in BC, I did a lot of hiking and stuff. You just getting yourself away and kind of not focusing on all of it, uh, distractions, anything like that. You have to separate yourself from it all. Uh, mm-hmm. There's so much, you know, that you can easily, you can go down that hole so easily. By, you know, that negative thought and going that and, and having someone to talk to about it, whether it's a family member, a friend, or a sports psychologist or anyone, you got expressing how you feel makes it easier. So, you know, if I'm struggling, if I say to you, hey, I'm struggling with this, this is what's going on, it's almost a relief to be able to get out there and say that to somebody. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I guess we get addressing it would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, addressing it's important because then that makes it real. And then once you make it real, it's easier to kind of find solutions. When, when it's all stuck in your head, it's like, 
how do I even start to tackle this thing? And that's where a lot of stuff where people are dealing with mental health things uh, it comes from is that, you know, you're afraid to look vulnerable or afraid to put yourself out there and, and say, you know, I'm struggling with this or this is tough and you need to have, whether it's good people or someone or any, like, you need to be able to express that. And vulnerability is good. Mm -hmm. And I say you're going to run around the pitch, you know, being a bit nervous and, and not having those butterflies is a good thing because you're excited about what you're doing. When you don't have that, and like we're talking about the overconfidence where you're not going to be able to do what you want to be able to do. But accepting those butterflies and saying, I've got these butterflies, I'm going to, okay, let's go. Like, I, that means I'm ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's not like there's nothing shameful in like being nervous or having those butterflies. I knew people who, um, would kind of just be like, why, why are you nervous? And like kind of judge people if they were nervous before a, a race or a match or something. It's like, there's no shame in that. Doesn't that mean you're like, isn't that a good thing? hundred percent. Yeah. You're putting yourself like, that means you're ready to go. You're focused on what you're doing. Right? Like, yeah. and as long as you can address it, if you can, if you start pushing it down and saying, I shouldn't be nervous. And that, that's when it's never going to be good. But if you address it, go, yeah, this is why. I'm feeling this way because I'm going out here. I'm running and playing against one of these top countries. Well, perfect. Okay, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to focus on catching that kickoff. Okay, what do I do? And just going from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. It, it, when it comes to firefighting, did anything you learned in rugby, like any skills or any like your work, work ethic, I guess, did that translate well over to firefighting? Yeah, it, it's honestly, it was a seamless transfer over. Um, couple of things that stick out is you're you're working with diverse personalities you're working with people from different backgrounds different ages right like the truck i'm on right now we have guys that are in their 50s and then we have guys that are in their early 30s or late 20s so mm -hmm. you've got those diverse personalities they're working with different people with one thing um that team atmosphere like everything you do you're going through it together and i used to stress about going into a medical college, you know, I've got medical training when I first started, but I never actually a lot of physical stuff working with people. And the captain came up to me and he said, listen, like you're not in there on your own. There's three of us, there's three minds working. There'll always be three of us working through everything. We're a team. We'll get through this together. So don't stress about it. And that really helped them realize that's basically what we went through in, in rugby. I mean, you're working as a group, you're going through everything and, the highs are high together and the lows are low together. You, know, you deal with a rough call or a bad call like at work. Well, we can talk about it with each other and, you know, find ways to, you know, whether it's sick sense of humor about something or, you know, you just have to talk and say, well, that was bad. I didn't want, you know, that was rough to deal with and you get through it together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, did that kind of help alleviate the mental pressure of firefighting? Cause I've, I've heard that it's a lot of pressure. Yeah. You know, what really helped me was uh, one of the guys, one of my first few calls, he said to me, he's like, look at the other guy sitting in the back of the truck with you. He said, if he's all nervous and excited or worried, then there's something to be worried about. But if they're calm and no problem, like you don't have to worry like there's no there's no stress about it and the other thing he said was remember any situation we come into that's that person's 
at that moment is their worst day of their life. Mm. And we didn't put them in that position, whether it's car accident, fire, medical injury or something, but we're there to help. And everything we do is only there to help. So if we can help them, we can help them. If we can't help them, there's nothing we can do about it. But when we show up on scene, we're there to help these people get through their worst day of their lives. So what's going on or be upset about the situation of that person because we never put them there, but we're just there to help. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great way to look at it. Um, I'm trying to think, what was my other question? I keep doing this. This is so bad. I do oh, this every I'm episode. Talking too long here. No, 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 no. You're good. Yeah, can you can you actually stop talking? This is my show, John. What are you doing? <laughs> um, so I guess like the last question I have for you, man. Um, if there's like, I guess I have a couple and end questions to kind of wrap this up. But I guess the first one, if there is an athlete that um let's say their retirement got cut early because of the lockdown and they're kind of in the dumps about it. And uh, that transition from, you know, sport to after sport wasn't as smooth as they thought it was going to be. And there was like a lot of unfinished business in their sport. What would you want to tell them to kind of maybe not get them on the right track, but kind of get their foot on the right path? It just be reminding them that there's more to life than sport. Like, Sport was a big part of my life, but there's so much more to it. You know, my sister just had a beautiful baby, right? And like stuff like that. There's so much to look forward to and exciting outside of it. Uh, you know, it sport t- it took up so much of my life. I lived out west. My family's all back here, and that's why I came back to Ontario is I wanted to be around my family. And that. Um, there's there's more to it all, and you're more than just the identity of it of an athlete and you know finding that person to talk about and to, to talk about all this stuff too and explain to them what you know, you you're feeling will help and it's okay to feel that way you will like everyone's going to feel down it's a big part of your life that you are losing but there's so much more to it all and just by talking to someone and, and realizing and finding that other goal whether it be like i'm looking at doing iron man or, you know, you pick up a hobby of some sort. You need something something else that you can work to. Because no one loses that competitive drive. Uh, my cousin Dave, for example, he retired pretty much right when I started. He kind of finished, I think, his last tournament was 2010. We never actually played together, just through injury and that. And uh, he picked up squash. Now he's in a squash league. He's competing in squash tournaments all the time. Like, find something else that you can get that competitiveness out of myself. I found competing with uh, biking or whatever, something that my own goal is not, but you, you need to find something else to, to occupy yourself. Yeah. hundred percent. And then my last question here um, is in regard to anybody really, um, because you and I both know like the, and everyone listening knows like this lockdown has been hard on everyone. Um, and sometimes especially here in on, on like Ontario or Canada, you kind of question whether the finish line is close uh, because, you know, you keep getting the different waves and different variants and, you know, things are up in the air really. So it, what would you want to say to someone who might be like really going through a tough time right now, just because you, there is no end in sight or their life feels like there's no purpose. Cause you know, you wake up, you roll out of bed, you're on a computer all day. It feels kind of useless. So what would you want to tell to someone who might be, struggling with these thoughts and emotions 
like to just to kind of focus on little things that will bring you a little bit of excitement and joy, right? A lot of people's lives are very mundane right now. You wake up, you walk downstairs, you grab a cup of coffee, you sit in front of your computer, do your work. Work finishes, you sit in front of the TV with someone or on your own, and then you go up to bed and it restarts. And some little things that bring you joy. You can't focus on the fact that we need the cases to come down or everyone to get vaccinated. Will this ever end? It's never, it's never going to be good for you when you focus on all that kind of negative thing. But find little things that will you know, make you enjoy it, whether it be, hey, today I'm going to make myself a seven normal coffee. I'm going to make myself a latte here. You know, warm the milk up or something like that. Finding just those little things that'll kind of bring a little bit of excitement and a little difference in your life. My girlfriend and I, like, we do once a month right now, we've been doing at home dates. So the one person has to cook up a meal we've never tried. And we put on, you know, not outfits, but like, uh, we put on nice clothes if we were going out, just kind of breaking up that mundaneness and bringing a little bit of joy into it because if you focus on the end it's you never it's going to feel daunting it's going to feel like something massive but if you can make the best of the little things that bring a little bit of joy into your life one other thing that uh, we started doing too was uh talking about three good things in the day before we went to bed because we both found that when you're going to bed you know you're thinking about everything going on right into the day well so the last thing you're thinking about is three good things that happen to you today, whether it could be the smallest thing, like, hey, I ordered a coffee and the person behind me paid for it. Or, you know, I got up and I brushed my teeth today. That can be an accomplishment, right? At a point, someone who's feeling very low, if you got up and brushed your teeth, well, hey, there we go. There's your positive thing. But having those three positive things and when you go to bed, it might help you sleep better and you feel a little bit better about the day at least that's what we've got yeah yeah def- that definitely helps it, it almost completely does a full circle here like when you were talking about how when you're on the field on a rugby match and you're thinking about the little tasks that lead to the end goal as opposed to just the end goal it makes things a lot more doable so even like like you mentioned if, if your end goal is like i'll be fine once everything goes back to normal it's like well that's like that's such an intimidating kind of end result to focus on as opposed to like you said the three things every day that you're grateful for or the one thing a day you can be excited for when you go to bed like that that, that's so important especially right now yeah you need those those little things those little victories and they add up eventually right they stack up Mm -hmm. yeah exactly um where where can my viewers find you man uh i mean anyone can message me if they want jmoonlight on instagram or jmoonlight12 on instagram or twitter or whatever honestly i'm always happy to talk to anyone about anything around sport or whether it's a young rugby player trying to get themselves into a team or the mental health aspect of it i don't mind i'm happy to talk to anyone about it all because uh i have people to talk to too and you can bounce ideas off of and and hear from because you know in the end you're not out there on your own there's always people around to help you people listen to help make your day better and help get you where you want to be in life i love it man i'll put those links down below john thank you again for coming on man this was a lot of fun no worries thanks for having me and to all my viewers i will see you guys next time